911, what's the nature of your emergency? Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody listening in on the Tactical Living Podcast. My name is Ashley Walton, and I am joined with my friend Jay. Jay, how are you? Good morning. I'm doing well, thanks. Jay and I are on different time zones. We were just chatting a little bit, and he was commenting how it's an hour earlier here, and I'm looking over there, and it seems a lot darker there than it is here. (laughs) Just have to point that out. I'll move my camera around. It's also snowy here. Or a little oh, bit. So jealous. Where are you located, Jay? Um, just outside of Denver. Oh, okay. Cool. How long is it supposed to stay snowy there? Um, actually, today the sun is out and it's blue. And so, but it's supposed to be cold until Wednesday. Mm, right on. Cool. So, Jay, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. So, a little bit about myself is um, my name is Jay Lanfear. I am a re, uh, active law enforcement officer right now. I've been in uh, law enforcement for 26 years. Um, and uh, currently I work for the state of Colorado and I have uh, only been working for the state for about the last four years. It's kind of a new role for me. I left local law enforcement about four years ago and um, after suffering from an on-duty injury, and um and i just took the opportunity to do something different and so with that opportunity i'm kind of venturing into some some new things um kind of my passion is helping others and what i've seen and we've all seen is the increase in police suicide fire suicide paramedics things like that and i've been touched with um some close friends committing suicide and so I've been uh, working with a mental health awareness um, specific to um, the first responder population out here. Cool. Jay, are you comfortable talking about that line of duty injury that you sustained? Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't anything um, ma- major. I was a patrol sergeant and we were headed out to uh, just serve a warrant. Um, on a guy and it was a snowy morning, a little bit worse than it is today. And I slipped and fell and broke my leg. Mm-hmm. And so um, with that, I um, just had a setback and I had an administration that um, wasn't overly supportive of that, uh, not necessarily the injury, but just of the other things that I was going through at the time. I had uh, recently uh, uh, had found out, or not really found out, I was married to another police officer and she had stepped out of the marriage. So I was suffering from uh, the breakup and it took its toll. And so with it taking its toll and having PTSI, myself from years of uh, I was diagnosed in 2010 with PTSI and so although I suffered way earlier than that I just never realized it never sought the 
the help or the actual official diagnosis because I didn't want it. Mm-hmm. Um, the administration made it kind of difficult to come back from that injury, from that my um, broken leg was a fibula. And so I ended up having to have a knee replacement, ended up having to go through rehab. And so um, when I was working with a workman's comp doctor fighting workman's comp system, it just felt um, easier discussing this with an attorney that I had hired because in Colorado and probably every other state out there, workman's comp is just a, an area that I'm not comfortable with and I'm not familiar with. That's not my profession. And my attorney just finally said, you know what? Do you really want to go back at your age and your tenure? Do you really want to fight this system any longer? And I, I said, you know what? No, I don't. And so I left there and um, took about a year off and just found myself. And during that time, during that year that I took off, I was in a major car accident and I suffered a TBI injury. So now I have TBI as well as um, my PTSI. And so I went from thinking I knew everything to not knowing anything to feeling that um, I had nowhere to turn to, to um, not understanding not only my PTSI injury, but now putting TBI on top of that. And just so kind of, kind of PTSI on steroids is the mm-hmm. best way I can um, explain that injury. And so I got to the point where I had to understand my injury. And so I dove into studying, I dove into reading, dove into educating myself about my injury, educating myself about what was really going on with me and my memory losses, my um, not being able to focus. I still suffer from a lot of that. And you'll see that throughout this interview today um, that it gets the, the minute details of my days are different than they used to be. Like just adding two plus two never equals four for me. Early morning in the, in my days are pretty good late in the afternoon. It's to be a struggle. So I had to come to the realization that I needed to understand that. And I needed to understand that my life's going to be different. And as a police officer, that was a huge realization. So I had left law, local law enforcement with the understanding that it was a physical injury and I could overcome that and I could come back into another job somewhere down the road. But, and then I had a mental injury on top of a PTSI injury. I don't like to call it a disorder because I think it is more than, um, it, it's an injury. Mm-hmm. PTSI is something that we can overcome. Um, but the TBI was something that was new to me. So like I mentioned, I dove into all the education, dove into some college courses, went and got my psychotherapy uh, license in the state of Colorado and um, really dove into my the nonprofit that I work with. And now I understand how those two work together. 
And I've been able to understand for myself that, Hey, there's days that I just, I don't feel like I can, you know, function. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. And it's okay to, to, to ask for help. And that's where I think, uh, law enforcement in general, um, I, that's my background. So even though I have a ton of friends that are in the fire service and in the paramedics, uh, service, speaking from law enforcement people we don't like to ask for help we don't know how to ask for help because we're the ones always getting that help and so when i see the suicide rates the way they are today i wonder why and then i've noticed over the last year 18 months even maybe two years that a lot of uh, my brothers and sisters have taken their own lives at their place of employment and you know, whether it be uh, NYPD was there's several officers there that were, would be at the station or uh, um, in the parking lot or in their office. And I'm just like, why? Why are we killing ourselves at the place of our employment? And then I got it. It's because that's what's hurting us. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where our injuries may have started. Or maybe that's because the last. You know, part of my language for a minute, but the last fuck you to the career that we dedicated so much to. And so I get it. And, you know, it, we're still losing. I, mean, I think we're at 60, 53, 55 for the year so far this year of just law enforcement officers that have killed themselves. And, you know, that's why. Why are we doing Why are we still doing that? And so that's my passion. My passion is to get the word out. My passion is to say, hey, it's okay to ask for help. Raise your hand. It's okay because we're all human. You know, in 2010, when I was actually diagnosed, um, you know, I was married to a a law enforcement officer. She had no clue what PTSD was. She would she would ask me, she goes, why are you acting that way? Well, in 2015, she was involved in an officer involved shooting in the second uh, large or third largest city in the state of Colorado. And she got it. That shooting ended up, um, costing her, her career because she suffered from PTSI and it took her almost took her life. And she ended up walking away from the career and it just, she gets it now and she's working through her own injury, working to help others, um, She's also a an army vet. She was in 9-11. She was deployed at 9-11. So she understands all of that now. But a lot of people don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know what triggers are. They don't understand why they feel the way they feel, why they are so exhausted when they come home from work, why they sit on the couch and either grab alcoholic beverage or just zone. You know, life is not to be that way. Life's to be happy. Our job is just a job. So that's kind of who I am and kind of the passions that I have in helping others. And that's why I've worked with uh, the couple of organizations here in Colorado that I work with. It's really heavy, everything that you just said. And I have like 14 questions in my head, but I'll go with the one that's at the top of my heart. And um, for me, I'm very visual. So in picturing those officers that are seemingly increasing with going to their place of employment and like your last fuck you, like you said, what do you think that 
you would like to instill in terms of change to be able to allow officers or even any first responders or military service members to recognize that this is a job? What is that disassociation? What could be done? I think what we have to do is we have to start early, early on in, in these uh, folks' careers. I think there has to be some state mandates in their the post-academy curriculum to really dive into this problem. Yes, there is a, a block that talks about mental health and there's the psychologists that come in and in the academies and they have their family day or they have their family hour, but it really has to be ongoing, not just at the academy level. It has to be an ongoing yearly thing, just like we have um, yearly training or quarterly training to keep our certifications present. We have to do that with mental health and we have to have that mandated that way the states become more and more accountable. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. So Jay, when you're talking about everything that empowered you to be able to learn about your own health and everything that was happening to you, I think of all of the different patients with ailments like diabetes, and I'll just use that as an example. What led you to want to develop such an interest and to really hone in on the curriculum of your own traumatic brain injury and the diagnosis of PTSI? Well, what really, PTSI, I was diagnosed in 2010. I know the first week of going into law enforcement is when I suffered my first injury. When I worked for the Denver Police Department when I first started and I was in um, not a shooting, but in a situation where bullets were flying by my head. And I remember that vis visibly today. And that was like, oh God, why am I doing this job? I left a very good job and now I'm out in the, the line of fire. So that was my first exposure. And then it just continued throughout the years. And then in 2006 is when I was in my first, um, I would say, critical incident where our life was taken. And so you go from trying to apprehend somebody to having your life threatened and then having to take a life and then having to try to save that life that you just had to take or stop the threat. And then not feeling that you had enough tools in the medical to try to save or try or to actually save that life. So that life was lost. So in 2006, I believe that was the catalyst for me. Did nothing with that, suppressed it like we always do. We just push that stuff down. And then it became worse and worse. So for me, the sitting, you know, in the closet, uh, I was suicidal many a time. Um, I think my, my off duty gun was probably in my mouth more than it was at the range. And I finally in 2010 went and asked for help with my doc and got on some, um, low level antidepressants and started processing in 2010, what really was going on. Yes, I've gone to many different training situ or training or conferences about, you know, you got to talk about this stuff. You've got to get this out or it's going to come up. It's, you know, it's like the boiling pot. If you keep pushing it down, eventually it's going to come up. And for me, it never really got to that point where I took it out. You know, I have two older children now 
And for them, I think they suffered a lot because I would go into my depression and my, uh, the times when I was a single dad, because of course I blew my marriage up when they were young. And of course I did all those things wrong. Um, but they were always there. I was always there physically, but mentally I was not there. And so I continued down that road. And then in 2010, started looking for help and met a psychologist that is very familiar with law enforcement. She had, she's married to law enforcement. And initially, when I first met her, she's like, how's this in your health? How is that in your health? And really kind of diagnosed me with some other issues in my health, my physical health that I could deal with. And then I started feeling better physically. And then I could start processing the mental side of my PTSI injury. And I'm like, wow, you met me once and could see some things. And that's just from her experience because her own husband had some of the same things. And so I'm like, hmm, I can trust somebody to go out and verbally vomit some of this baggage that I've been carrying for so long because she was able to help me and I feel better. So that was the beginning of me starting to heal from my PTSI injury. And then when I was in my car accident, five and a half, six years later, I was like, I'm too young to be suffering from what I, at that time that I was suffering from an early onset of dementia, mm -hmm. way too young. That's not in my family history. And I'm like, something is wrong. The docs are telling me I'm okay. They're saying, Hey, I don't, we don't know what's wrong with you. You probably suffered a concussion. And so I had started going back to my childhood, started going back to all the other injuries and the fights on duty that I had been on. And I'm like, I probably had 20 concussions in my lifetime or more. And this last one just did something. And I'm like, I cannot continue down this road. I have to understand it. And that's what the catalyst was for me to dive into the education and figure it out for me is I needed to know because I could not continue feeling the way I was feeling and not understanding why. And so I started, you know, learning about the, the cortisol, learning about the different limbic systems in our brain and understanding all the different chemicals and understanding how the brain works and understanding why people do uh, some of the things that they do and why they act out in some of the ways. I don't have enough education and nor do I want to have the education to go in and actually become a psychologist. That's for them. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a street cop. I'm a cop, but I can understand it and I can help my peers with some of that knowledge that I've gained because I get it. And I could understand that they, if you don't have some of those knowledges or if you don't take that time to understand an injury, just like our, our athletes that train and train and train, and then they get hurt and they do nothing to come back or understand that injury. What do they train for? Yeah. They, they can't come back from something they don't understand. And I would, like I said, I, I felt that I was way too young to be just in this limbo. I have way too much to offer and I'm tired of seeing my brothers and sisters die. Yeah. 
We have some comments in here, Jay. It's okay to ask for help. I love it. You're a warrior, Jay. Thank you for having a passion for mental health. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning to you back. If you haven't already, go ahead and enable your comments on here because I can't see who's commenting unless you've enabled it. So I can just guess who that was. Command staffs for police departments need to be trained to address the issues as well and jump to conclusions that if someone asks for help, that they are automatically unfit for duty. This is why people are afraid to ask for help. Absolutely. I don't know why my husband doesn't know how to type this morning. How have you found family members can help? That's what I think he's asking. How have you found family members can help instead of hinder in situations like yours? I think communicating with them what we're going through as far as like my kids. Um, I've had to do a lot of damage control, damage repair with my, my own two kids. Like I said, they're both adults now. Uh, my daughter, she's the younger of the two. She has her own children um, now. And so she kind of gets some of the things that I went through. My son is getting married in June. If we lift all this nonsense that's going on, not nonsense, it's not, I'm sorry. But if some of these- Depends on who you ask. So, exactly. Some, some of these social distancing regulations, he's in Ohio, so we'll see what happens there. But anyway, um, so I had to do a lot of repair with them. And I didn't let them in when they were young. But now as they're older, they understand everything that I went through. And they're like, Dad, I wish you would have talked to us. Mm-hmm. We could have understood what you were going through, but we didn't think you loved us. We thought that you didn't want to be around us. And that talk about a stab to your to your heart, because that's the thing. Not only do we have to ask for help, but we have to let our families know what's going on. Had I not, let me step back. If I would have communicated with their mom what was going on, I wouldn't have blown that marriage up. It may not have lasted, but I wouldn't have blown it up on purpose because I did it on purpose. And so it caused my kids the pain. And then if I would have communicated with them as being a single dad for the years that I was single with them, they would have understood and they could have been a support system. Um, some of my extended family, they didn't know what I was going through because I, I just didn't uh, really let them in. My mom knows. My mom is very supportive. She's my rock. Uh, but other folks in my family, they don't know um, just because I've chosen not to let them know. But I do feel that if you're close and you can have that, if you can be vulnerable with your family or close friends, that's the best thing. And another comment I wanted to say about command staff I was promoted in 2006 to sergeant because of that very same thing. One, my sergeant at that time had a mental health issue, a breakdown, basically. He was put on administrative leave. He never returned to duty and had to medically retire because of his mental health conditions, was put on medication. And the, the question at hand is they could not monitor if he was taking his medication. And so without being able to take his med, being able to monitor if he was taking his medication, they chose to separate employment. Mm. And that's just nuts. We can't do that anymore. We have to take care of our people. And I agree with whomever made that comment. Command staff, city management, 
has to be educated and we have to start making it literally an open door to go in and talk. And I know our command staffs aren't comfortable with this subject, but get somebody in there that is comfortable with it or get the fuck out and mm-hmm. let somebody else come in and do it because we're, yeah. I think that's a huge problem in why some of our suicide, I'm not saying that that's a, the answer, but I do feel that that could be why some of the suicides are taking place at the place of employment. Yeah. I mean, if everybody has the same complaint, then obviously that's one element that needs to be changed. Um, I agree. One of the trainings I was fortunate to get was suicide intervention. Um, I was taken off the road when I told my sergeant I may be suffering from PTS. They sent me to a state doctor and he would not diagnose me with PTS, only anxiety and stress. They don't want to be a responsible for the medical liability. Yep. And B, they will say it's not from our work, which is just a joke. So Jay, I, I know that you do a lot of peer support now and you've been able to take all of the knowledge and personal experience and turn it into something beautiful to support other people. So can you talk a little bit about that? I do. Uh, so in 2016, I was invited by my ex-wife to go to what is called Badge for Badge. Um, it's a nonprofit peer-to-peer support group that was um, organized and brought to coalition by another law enforcement officer that had struggled with this very same thing. She turned to alcohol. She was an alcoholic and um, attempted suicide at least on one, if not two occasions. And so she decided, hey, we need something to allow people to come together that's totally separate from their employer and can be confidential and talk. And so she um, started this nonprofit. It's still in the baby stages, even four and a half years later, baby stages of being nonprofit. Um, But it's just that it's peer to peer support. And so there's two meetings a, a week. There's one we have, we've grown to the point where we have one in the North Denver area. And then we have one in the South Denver area. We also have a, a, a red, white, and blue crew, which is actually AA or um, first responders, which allows first responders. It's closed group, just like our group's closed group, um, only active retired um, uh, first responders, whether it be police, fire, dispatchers, um, corrections, um, any of those folks that are either were active or were retired or injured or whatever can attend. And that's exactly what it is. So we've had on occasion, we've had some sleepers try to come in, meaning command staff try to come in and, and try to spy on employees. And we are able to call them out pretty quickly and have a side conversation with them. that are, They're not welcome. And uh, we had one individual that was assigned to IA of a large sheriff's department here. Well, it was Denver Sheriff, I'll just call him out. And we're just like, why are you here? And he finally came clean. And it wasn't for his own use, it was for trying to see who, other, who else was coming to these meetings. And we said, you're not welcome. And so we have no problem calling out command staff. If we got a call today saying, hey, is so-and-so coming to your meetings? We'd go, what are you talking about? We don't know who you're talking about. Because that's the key. It has to be confidential. And so that's one organization um, that I work with. Another organization is um, 
trying to think. The, it's I just started with them, and I, I'd have to go grab the book. But basically, it's the same type of organization. Mm-hmm. But the piece of it is um, it adds a Christian aspect to it because some folks want that spiritual side of it. And so um, I just started with this group. Um, where I'm going to have to go get that book. That's okay. We could drop <laughs> it in the comments. Um, I'll, I'll throw it in a comment or I'll get it to you later. But anyway, it's, again, a peer-to-peer group. Um, it's based off of uh, military, the the veterans as well as first responders. And then it adds the Christian side of it. And so the reason I started working with that group is I connected uh, the gal that started this group. She's a psychologist. She suffers from a TBI injury. She had to leave uh, the military. She's a an Air Force. Um, I think she was not a colonel, but may major maybe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, tenure in the military, and she had to leave due to her injury. And she's trying to help uh, not only uh, first responders, because that's kind of her passion due to her family history. Her dad was a police officer, uncle, things like that, but also uh, active and retired military. So those are the two formal organizations. And then in my place of employment, I work for the state of Colorado. And when I started working with them about four years ago, their peer support was in shambles. And so one of the, the challenges that I had is, why is it in shambles? Well, they had broken trust in years in years prior by um, kind of not keeping that confidentiality thing sacred. And so I worked with them. I've been working with them in their the management team and getting that back up and running. So over the course of the last several years, we've gotten that back up and running. State of Colorado employs about six thousand uh, law enforcement um, officers, correction correctional officers. And so over the last two weeks with the coronavirus, we've been able to actually do um, Zoom meetings and just drop in meetings. And we've had a pretty good showing. We've had over 50 officers just show up into that and chat. And people have shared just, you know, random different things that are bothering them throughout this. And so peer support's huge. Um, You know, when I, I only achieved the rank of sergeant. Uh, before I left the local law enforcement realm, uh, thought I wanted to go to the commander level and the politics are too thick for me. And so I see when people um, are coming to these meetings and I'm having, you know, command level staff coming to these meetings on the, on the zoom and people are open and honest and they'll flat out saying, you know, part of our stresses and issues right now is command staff and command mm-hmm. staff is like, Hey, we're sorry. We didn't know we we're causing this much stress for you guys. So it's been good. Peer support is huge. That's really awesome. And then to wrap this up, Jay, how can somebody contact you if, if maybe they might connect with you and, and kind of heard everything that you just had to say? So I'll drop my personal email and then um, I'll also badge to badge.com. Always go on there um, for Colorado residents. I want to see other, uh, I mean, my goal is to see a peer to peer support organization in each state. I mean, that'd be awesome, but it takes work. It takes dedication for people to get that started, but I'll drop my um, personal email and that's J A Y L at 
jld1020.com and just send me an email and I'd be more than happy to, to work with somebody trying to set that up or drop me an email. And I mean, my passion is helping others. Cool. Jay, I appreciate you being so open and for just sharing your story and you're such, an, you're such an inspiration to be able to really take what had happened to you and turn it into something beautiful and then to, to carry that and give it to other people. It's really inspiring. So I just want to thank you for that. Thank and you. Um, I'll drop your email in the comments below and I will talk to you later. All right. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye.